episode 85 of the Avatar Hour podcast, your ultimate companion podcast to the world and fandom of Avatar. I'm Andre. And I'm Kayla. And today we continue our Legend of Korra recap with this week's episodes 109, Out of the Past, and 110, Turning the Tides. Uh, in this episode, you can obviously expect some full spoilers for The Legend of Korra, as well as spoilers for Avatar The Last Airbender. However, there may be potential spoilers for any other Avatar media, but don't worry, we will give you plenty of warning ahead of time if we get into anything too spoilery. Before we get into the episode discussion, Kayla, how's your week been going? Pretty good. You know, I'm kind of just enjoying my last few days that I have of free time. Mm-hmm. I know it's a novel concept to me. Uh, before I start my new job next week, which I'm super excited about. Um, as of the recording, when this will be released, I have graduated already. But right now we're recording on a Friday. I mm-hmm. thought Thursday and I graduate on Friday. So I'm really excited about that. You know, kind of just seeing my school, you know, stuff come to an end, which I'm very, very excited about. <laughs> man, I was done with school. No I have been school. done with no more school. School's out forever. I'm so excited. I remember when I posted that it was like my last first day of school when I, you know, posted my, you know, first day of classes. And like some friends on Facebook were like, oh, you never know. You never know. You might go. No. <laughs> A doctorate's not in your future. No, God, please. No. <laughs> You're already in enough no. debt. <laughs> no, exactly. Like in this economy. Like, <laughs> no, I no. I, I remember I was like telling my dad, I'm like, any education I get from here on out is just going to be my from experience from learning on the job and Absolutely. like maybe a certification or something like if I need to update my certification with Facebook or some crap like that. That's it. That's it. Well, now that, that you finished your master's, I'm going to ask you a very important question. Was it worth it? I'm going to say yes, because uh, even though I hated it as much as I did, it was a it was different from my undergrad um, pursuits. So I studied journalism in undergrad, which definitely gave me a good scope of the creative side of things, taught me how to be a good storyteller, all that good stuff. And then marketing, my marketing degree taught me a lot about the strategy side of things. So in my case, it really did help me. And I do think it's going to continue to help me, uh, especially if I'm, as I move into my next position. And I think it'll definitely put me at an advantage over some of my peers who may have studied journalism in college and went into the marketing field. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad that I did my master's as much as I hated doing it, as much as I hated the homework and the papers and the stress crying and all that crap. I -hmm. did it. And yes, it is ultimately worth it. I know there's a lot of people who say who have experiences and valid experiences where it wasn't worth it, but I am happy to say I'm one of the people who got ultimately found it to be worth their time Mm -hmm. and money. (laughs) <laughs> awesome awesome yes i mean how about you what's been going on with you <laughs> um i'm good we're back at the night shift for the for the podcast <laughs> yes um, because i because i have uh because life-changing stuff like jobs and yeah. things and school yeah. but that's okay <laughs> we're flexible here at the avatar hour uh no i've been doing been doing good um I'm trying to think of like what's been happening I and mean, it's, it's been a pretty boring week i guess um sometimes boring is nice you know yeah yeah sometimes i mean i saw <laughs> I, I saw uh the new dark strange movie over the weekend oh, i did too i saw that on mother's day which so not as boring <laughs> 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 what did you think of the movie kayla i no spoilers here no spoilers no i won't spoil it i really enjoyed it the cameos kind of bordered the line between being like overstaying their welcome i think but i think what they did was excellent with it mm-hmm. um and uh 
yeah, I kind of, I, I kind of wish they leaned more into the horror aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish they done more with that because they was like, oh, MCU horror movie. That was not a horror movie, guys. Yeah. That wasn't. I wish that they leaned more into it, but they definitely pushed the line between PG thirteen and R. I can definitely say that with yeah. confidence. But again, I just kind of wish they kind of pushed a little bit more outside of the Marvel comfort zone with this movie. Mm. Like it like stepped a little bit, but it wasn't enough for me. That's it. I just I liked what I got. I wish we got more, you know? Yeah. That's a Do good that's have... a good feeling to to leave the the movie theater with. Yeah. I mean, uh, I I really enjoyed it. I I I've thought about it a lot. I I truly I feel like I don't have any qualms with this movie. I just really loved it. I thought they did a lot right um Mm -hmm. and um and that's that i'm just i'm yeah i i i really love this movie i i really kind of am starting to despise talking about it like on the internet and just kind of talking about marvel in general (laughs) on the internet it's um, starting to turn into like Star Wars discourse a little bit. It is. It well, yeah. It's definitely turning, especially <sighs> when it comes to Wanda and the discussion around That's, Wanda's character. That okay. has been making me want to bash my head against the wall. Yeah, and it's like <laughs> to the point where I'm like, "There's no, there's no point." If if I'm just gonna go in and and fight people about like basic stuff, I I, it's it's just so mentally draining to me. And I've I had to unfollow yeah. so many people on TikTok because. And it's not even the fact that I didn't agree with them. I agreed with them, but I was like, I'm kind of tired. I was tired on their behalf because they were responding to really stupid takes and comments. And sure. I was like, I can't imagine being one of these creators whose job it is to talk about those movies. And I'm like, I'm I sure they love it and that. everything. But like, I was talking about it with my friends in the group chat. And and I was like, I don't know if it's because like, the the MCU is getting like so expansive with the shows and the movies that it's kind of easy to maybe forget certain story beats that inform and influence like the decisions a character makes or their arc or whatever. I don't know if it's that and but if it is, that's so frustrating to try to have a conversation about when we're not all quite on the same page. And it's like yeah. that with a combination of like almost like willful ignorance of the material. So it's like at that point, I'm like, I'm not going to convince someone of something that was that flat out happened or was said like three movies ago or something. It's like, I'm just it's so draining. This is one of the times where like I always say, like, you know, I never like it when people say it's just a movie. But at this point, when it comes to like discourse that spreads around like things like Star Wars and Marvel and other big pop culture franchises, I sometimes just want to scream that it's just a movie or, you know, it's like. Just, just enjoy it. If you didn't like it, fine. If you liked it, great. Like you know, my my thing is always expect nothing, enjoy everything, and exactly. that's and if you don't, it's okay. And I think again, another reason why I think it's so maddening to me is that I think people have come up with this idea that because everything in the MCU MCU is connected, then that means that they must like everything the MCU does, or it's bad. Yeah, and I'm like, and I, it's it's starting to make sense the more I think about it with the more divisive things that have come out, like Eternals, Moon Knight, and this movie that were so different. Moon Knight's divisive. Huh, yes, man. very divisive. We must be on different sides of TikTok then. <laughs> it sounds like we are because there have been people who like flat out hate it, think it's the worst thing the MCU has ever done, and there really? uh, me who absolutely loved it and was like, it's like again a top three for me. 
So like, again, I'm not saying people can't have, can't have other opinions. I'm just going to be disengaging kind of from that yeah. conversation from now on. I have no I problem talking you. about it with like you or my friends because I know we're on the same page about a lot of stuff. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with just, you know, agreeing with each other for an hour and just gushing about how much you like something. It's more fun to like things than not like things. Yeah. So, yeah. And I'm already, yeah. I'm already, I think it's also because this has coincided with us talking about Cora. Because it, it, it Ooh, has a, the, the same so things much. are happening with Cora, just like completely either forgetting things that happened in Cora or just willfully ignoring it to like suit your point. Mm-hmm. I think I've, I've like I've reached my limit with Cora. I'll do it with Cora all day long, but I, I can't do it with anything else. Yeah. Well, we also do a podcast on this and not Marvel. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God. Right. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Oh anyway, my goodness! But we don't have again, Avatar news. Yeah, we know? don't have Avatar news. If we start talking about pop culture stuff, it's because we don't have any news. <laughs> yeah, we do have podcast news though. <laughs> yes, um, we are coming up in like two weeks. I think we're going to be doing our first Messenger Hawk mailbag episode. That means we are going to be talking about um, anything people send into the show. We will read it on the air if we think like it'll spark some good discussion. So send in any like headcanons, theories, kind of like what you would send in for Phantom Corner. It's kind of just going to be like a one giant Phantom Corner episode. Um, so if, if you can send in, yeah, headcanons, theories. If you have questions that aren't related to Avatar, you just want to ask us if random questions, that's fine too. It's, you know, it's just us talking about uh, what we get in. So if you want to send in um, anything for that episode that's coming up soon, go ahead and email it to the Avatar Hour podcast at gmail.com or you can DM us on Instagram at the Avatar Hour podcast or at Twitter at Avatar Hour. Um, so definitely get those in. I think I, I haven't run this past Kayla yet, but I also want to do some polls on social media and kind of like, you know, read the results on that episode as well. Because yeah. they'll be like just silly polls, not nothing too serious. So um, no, I like that idea. Yeah. So we're going to do that as well. So definitely stay tuned for that. Again, if you have something, go ahead and send it on in. Yeah. Um. But yeah, are, are we ready to get, to get into these uh these episodes, Kayla? Yeah, I'm ready to get started to continue our recap of season one. And we're coming in towards the finale, which is super exciting. So let's get into it. All I'm right, sorry. episode 109, Out of the Past. So Korra has been kidnapped by Councilman Tarlock and taken away to a house in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. Da, da, da. Uh, she's been locked in a metal box and he's left he leaves her behind so he can come up with his alibi for why the city hall looks like that after their fight. Uh, so back, so his, his way of doing it is spinning it in his favor by using Igla's evidence to frame them for attacking him and Korra. And people buy it because it does make sense. Yeah, I, I wonder guess. how he got his hand on the glove. Maybe in like the evidence room or something for his task force or something. I bet that was probably the case. Yeah. I think I think he has relative ease uh, to these kinds uh, ease of access to these kinds of things. I also want to point out the dude electrocuted himself. Like psychotic. Damn. Like committed. Committed. That yeah. Jeez. The OG uh, theater kid. No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like the Jared Leto with theater kids. Okay. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Tarlock is doing method acting. <laughs> that literally. <laughs> so, meanwhile, Lynn has officially started her vigilante justice crusade and goes to bust Mako, Bowman, and Asami out of jail to go rescue Korra after hearing the news on the radio. 
So the rest of the crew plus Lynn and Tenzin go investigate where the Equus would be keeping Korra through retracing their steps. I also really quick want to make a quick side note of some of the humor in this episode. I always like doing that, especially with Lynn using metal bending to zip Bowen's fly. <laughs> Cracks me up every time. Yeah. And like also just how, how incredibly appreciative Bowen is of that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Just I again, the humor is uh, should be talked about more often. Anywho, I love it. Uh, so yeah, they go surprise tens in his office, and he's like, "You're supposed to be in the hospital. You guys are supposed to be in prison. What are you guys doing here?" <laughs> uh, he's not, I mean, it's not like he's not happy to see him, but he's like, "What?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love it. Um, and so yeah, they go and retrace the steps from a few episodes ago when Bolin was taken by the Equalists. Um, they then return to the loved Decahedron once again because Maku is becoming increasingly anxious about Korra being missing. And Asami's not an idiot. She picks up pretty easily and she asks then asks Bolin if you if you know Mako likes Korra more than a friend. And he spills on the kiss at the arena, which so yeah, putting a pin in that. Which the pin will come out in the next episode. <laughs> yeah, uh, can I just talk about this really quickly? Yes, go I, when I, when I was like thinking about this episode, I was like, I was like getting increasingly annoyed at just how much Mako was like freaking out about Korra, and I was like, why does that annoy me so much? Why does that why does that annoy me? And I realized it's because I feel like once again Mako's character is like given more like attention and development over Bolin because I think out of the two of them I feel like Bolin would be a lot more anxious than Mako I think Bolin like actually developed a friendship with Korra yeah and and there is a lot of time that we don't see in between these episodes I get that and I'm not saying Mako didn't develop a friendship with Korra but obviously, there's some complications there, right? And mm-hmm. I understand, like, you know, Mako is probably in denial about how he feels about Korra. But I I was kind of, like, almost annoyed at how blasé Bolin was about the whole thing. You know, like, I would have yeah. just expected him to be more anxious. And I think the reason he wasn't is because if, if both of them were anxious, then Asami wouldn't have picked up on this thing with Mako and Korra. And it's like, again this love the decahedron kind of gets in the way of the development of how these characters yeah. would react in that situation so i don't know i'm just again i'm just like oh, poor bolin yeah. and I, i'm really glad this is I, I can't imagine only having one season of bolin i could yeah, not imagine right? well on that note with the they put it we put a pin in the love the decahedron development and they then infiltrate the equals prison with Again, we see Lynn do some, um, do the cool, you know, seeing with our bending thing again. I will always appreciate when they do that. Mm-hmm. And they infiltrate the prison. They find Lynn's officers. And unfortunately, they're too late to stop a monk taking away their bending. And well, then they also find out that the Eagles didn't attack City Hall and that Tarlock instead of taking Korra. They come to that conclusion rather quickly, but that's fine. We got to keep things moving along. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's okay. It's, like, a, it's a twenty-minute episode. They got to move things yeah, along. Yeah, <laughs> I still, I, I still just wanted to point that out. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, okay, I can accept this. Let's just uh, annoy me for a second. We'll move on. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also want to point out that the escape scene in the tunnel uh, was another really cool and uh, you know super innovative ways of using bending and technology with like those carts and like you yeah. know using or like shoot them up and yeah, just just such a cool moment there. Yeah. 
Cora has some time to herself <laughs> in the metal box that she's imprisoned in. So she then takes this time in involuntary isolation and she meditates on the visions of Aang that she's been getting. We then flash back to an older gang with Aang as a more established avatar and Toph as the head of police. And they arrest Yukon, who's this gangster sort of character. And we get the triumphant return of Clancy Brown, who's the voice of Long Feng from season one of Avatar. And you also may recognize him as a million other roles, but more specifically, Mr. Krabs, because that's the one I will always say whenever <laughs> I bring him up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it, this this out of uh, in comparison to Long Feng is very Mr. Krabsy. Lord. Um, but also, like, I mean, just what a cool flashback that we get mm-hmm. here. Like, I mean, we don't get as, I mean, I know I'm glad that they didn't, like, overstay their welcome with seeing the older gang, yeah. you know, that it was, it took the time it needed. And it was just cool seeing Aang as a, I think he said he was 40 years old in that flashback. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Toph still teasing him and like, you know, I just, I don't know. It just warms my cold little dead heart. Do you, you know? think we would have gotten this flashback if there were more seasons planned for Korra? I'm going to say, hmm, that's a good question. I'm going to say no. I I might have to agree with you on that one. I'm going to say no. They, I'm I'm not Cora saying this is like fan service be, or anything, but like I, I definitely think Breck was like, we got to give them a little something. Like if we're going to go yeah. back to this universe for only a short time, let's give them a little something. Exactly. I, th- I, I have to agree with you on that one. Yeah, but I'm, wonder- but I'm wondering like if, if they had like the four seasons playing from the beginning, would we have gotten this flashback this early on in the show? I'm going to say probably the flashback would have come later. Mm-hmm. I think that they would have, if they had the four season arc, they had that if they planned the four season arc, I think that they would have saved a lot of direct ties to the show until later in the series because the core would have had more of a chance to grow as her own show and they wouldn't have the as much immediacy of comparing the two shows i think yeah i i mean i definitely think they would have gotten to a flashback at some point oh for um, sure but uh but yeah i wonder i don't know it's like a the another reality when they had you know full four seasons planned before they started so yeah i don't know exactly that is not the reality that we live in, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now, now I, you know, that insert joke about multiverse of madness here. Uh, there's, def- there's a universe out there where this exists, where we get a four season planned out arc for Korra. Yeah. <laughs> when the when the when we ran out of things to talk about in the podcast, we will then go to other universes <laughs> and talk about that universe's avatar. Last we'll just... <laughs> Yeah, that. <laughs> we've got a plan y'all we've got a plan yeah, don't worry of course we have so we have we have, we have we have plans until everything else starts coming out you know <laughs> avatar studios and all that <laughs> so yakon then gets taken to trial where we see that Sokka is a member of the council and you know of course we mentioned sparky sparky boom man and you know mentions top discovering metal bending and uses these references to the past show to point out that like look we have we've seen some weird shit it's not completely impossible this guy would be able to figure out a bloodbend without the use of a full moon and yeah that's exactly what happens he bloodbends the entire courtroom without needing a full moon i mean scary especially like you know i know i know we saw ang get you know get affected by bloodbending in season three but still seeing that seeing him control an entire courtroom yeah and the avatar who's a little bit more come into his power pretty fucking scary i think do you think like maybe this encounter the fact that like you know anger was kind of like out in the open and you know just there do you think like maybe this situation um kind of made him more protective about the next avatar 
and was like they they must have bodyguards at all times like you got to make sure that they're safe like do you think that played think any sort of it i think maybe a tiny bit but mm-hmm. i think the, the the thing that would this the straw that broke the camel's back so to speak in this case would be probably something more of like the threat of the red lotus and mm-hmm. other you know bigger groups like that i think Mm-hmm. And maybe he's, and or maybe he even like you know, or maybe people took it too far of what he, he wanted. Maybe he wanted the avatar to have a more protective, the next avatar to have a more protective, a more like have more protection on their upbringing. But I don't think that he would have wanted. I don't. I think his words might have been misinterpreted because I don't think he would have wanted Cora to grow up completely sheltered the way she did. Interesting. I think that's. I think honestly, I think what he said might have been taken by too far taken too far by somebody else so do you thought you think the white lotus misunderstood the assignment yes yeah, yeah that's, that's my headcanon that's possible that is my headcanon because i don't think i don't think i mean i especially the way that i think that he i don't think he would want cora to grow up in a compound i think he would have wanted definitely wanted some protection around her so that she wouldn't have as much of a dangerous childhood but still like i think maybe the white lotus not the white lotus sorry the red lotus attack probably even uh exacerbated what was already there i think mm. so i can't remember i i want to say oh, i want to say that they explicitly say, say in the show that ang wanted cora to be raised there but i can't remember if the show actually says it or not but yeah that's interesting to think but about but also remember this remember like there's also the case of broken telephone too unless it says True. In writing that he True. was like i want her to grow up in this compound and not have a normal life <laughs> I don't think that's in his character. <laughs> I don't Even think I don't think he was ever like I don't want her to have a normal life. I I no. can't see him being like, you know, make sure she's secure in one place, bring the masters to her so she's not in danger. I can I mean I can see that. Cuz I mean again, I, we might have talked about this already, but Aang doesn't want another repeat of the avatar going missing for 100 years. He wants Good to make sure point. that they're in a safe space that and where everything can just be brought to them. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, it's a, it's very interesting to think about. Uh, two things here. Do you think? Yeah. Um, do you think Yakone inherited this bloodbending technique? Meaning, do you think that he has any relation to Hama? Well, I don't know. I don't really know how. I mean, I don't know. What I think. Do you think it could be I... possible? Does the timeline work out? I mean, well, Katara figured. Well, Katara figured out how to bloodbend from her, but like. You know, it's not like it's something that's inherited because Katara learned it. I mean, not necessarily the technique, but just the fact that he can do it without the use of a... It almost seems like this, like, bloodbending thing kind of, like, got mutated in between. And it, like, kind of evolved into this thing that Yukon was able to bloodbend without the use of a woman. I mean, that's kind of, like, the justification they use for uh, Noah Talk and Tarlock. Like, the fact that they were able to bloodbend the way that they did was because, because they were Yukon's sons. So maybe I don't really have a solid answer for this. I kind of don't. I don't know if I want to give a solid Comments? answer on this maybe? either. I don't know. Interesting to think about. And yeah. second thing, I wanted to know if the name Yakon meant anything, and I found some very interesting answers. Go for it. I'm so, ready. So, um, the name Yakon is uh is derived from the Inuits and Alaskan natives. There's two meanings. The more literal translation is red aurora but it can also mean blood spray on the snow damn okay which is used as a metaphor so it could be either but i just thought that that was 
interesting. Well, red aurora in the sky could be similar to blood stains on the snow. Mm-hmm. You know, the blood spray yeah. on, the, on the snow specifically, I think, is, is yeah. interesting. Yeah. Damn, that's really fucking specific. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Details. Details. Yeah. Love I love it. Um. But yeah, so Yakone then makes his escape using bloodbending, um, only to be caught by Aang. But after trying to kill him using bloodbending, the Avatar state is triggered and he pulls pretty much the same move he did with Ozai, encasing him in Yakone and Earth and then taking his bending away. I hate how people think that it was just a thing of like Aang being like, oh yeah, I, I can do this thing. And not just kind of like a, a reflex. Like some people think like he was like being bloodbent and he like just remembered that he could go, he could go into the after state, even though he was just in it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I loved this. Uh, I loved seeing him on the like the the you know um, the scooter ball, the air scooter on like steroids. Like it was like four times as big. I loved that. I yes. loved uh, uh, Aang's old theme making a uh, an appearance back in the music. Loved it. Loved it. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's kind of the last, the direct flashbacks we get to the older gang. Of course, we do see older, you know, we, we've seen Katara. We're going to see Zuko and Toph as well. But, you know, old older gang series comics, please and thank you. I mean, hey. Show for, you know. I'm Avatar still convinced. Studios. I'm still convinced we're going to get a movie of the older gang, but we'll see. I might start crying if we do. Uh <laughs> God, if that, could you imagine if that we'd have to we'd have to figure out a way to go and see it together oh we we'd can make to. it happen yeah. we, ha- we can definitely make that happen yeah <laughs> live podcast from the theater we'll just, we're just super quiet in the corner just be like yeah oh you know what we should oh do God. we should do one of those things where like right before we go and see the movie we'll like do like maybe like the first half of the podcast and then the second yeah. half is us after we've seen the movie you know still in tears or yeah. whatever <laughs> That could be fun. <laughs> do you think it would be a theater release or do you think it would be a streaming? Only? I mean, actually, no, I think it'd be a theater. release. It would be definitely a theater and then go to streaming. It's got to be. I think they said it's an animated theatrical release. I think oh. they said that. I mean, or if it's just an animated if, movie. I can't remember. Even the if they didn't explicitly say it, I think it would be a smart move to do, especially with the big devoted fan base that it does have. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I want to go with that. But anywho, flashing back to Republic City in the present, uh, the crew has found out that the Equalists didn't attack City Hall, and they then confront Tarlock and the Chief of Police about it. At first, Tarlock denies it, but then his assistant steps up and spills his guts about the truth, and that Tarlock is a bloodbender. Back into a corner, he once again bloodbends everybody in the room and runs off. He then returns to Korra, just royally pissed that she's like, you know, you ruined all my plans. He said, I'm like, it's not just her. A lot of other people ruined your plans too, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you then brought she this on yourself. You brought this yeah. on yourself. Yeah, dude. Sorry, I guess. I don't I don't know if I want to say sorry to you. But um, she then, Korra then calls him out as Yakone's son. And, you know, he's like, yeah, I was his son. And I, I'm like, you know what? But like, she's like, she's like, she then tells him that he has nowhere to run, and he's like, "Well, uh, I can start a new life again. So you're coming with me as my hostage. Let's go, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Or I'm about to go." And he goes upstairs and finds that the Equalists are waiting for him. Mm-hmm. But then we get another moment that I kind of remember. I think I remember watching it for the first time of fucking Amon being able to resist Tarlock's bloodbending, which is just <sighs> oh my god. The gag. <laughs> you're already scared of, of him because he can take away bending. But then you see that and you're like, oh my, it's, oh my God. And like, we have the same question that like, that Tarlock has. What are you? Mm-hmm. You know? And we've only ever seen 
Katara be able to resist bloodbending? But that was under yeah. the power of a full moon. Yeah. God. Spooky shit. He then takes, you know, then takes Tarlok away and orders the lieutenant to electrocute the box to knock her out before taking her. She then uses her armband to prevent her from being electrocuted. And I mean, just want to commend the, the smart move there real always, quick. Yeah, always love this. Love it. Love that moment. Um, and she manages to make her escape. But the slow most, like, I, you know, like the prolonged eye contact is like she's flying out of the mm-hmm. house and Amon's watching her. Like, it's just lost the in my head, Brent Fruit, too. It's just scary shit. For me, it's that moment. And um, when she kind of like earth bends, like all the, the equalists, like basically into the ceiling. And there's just like a, a quick shot of kind of like these like small pebbles kind of floating around her. It's such a like blink and you miss, miss it shot. But I always think it was like the coolest thing ever. Detail. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she runs off, barely escaping Amon, and is stranded in the snow. But thankfully, Naga was out looking for her, and she carries her home to Republic City. Uh, the crew, Lin and Tenzin, then find her, and you know, Mako carries her off Naga, and they share a little tender moment before the episode ends. No ominous lines from Tenzin. Nope. It's a little <laughs> bit more of a kind of a more more of a uplifting kind uh-huh. of you know, ending. Uh, yeah. Before we move on to the next part, I want to put out a few more moments that I liked. Just- I, I I put out any funny moments I can, just I want to. Um, but also like Milo just acting like an adult of being like, you know, he answers the phone, he's like, who is it? This better it's 6 a.m. This better be important. <laughs> <laughs> and then that. I love that they brought back some like those snarky like soldier moments from the Fire Nation in Avatar back with the equalists. Uh, mm-hmm. and he's like, Oh, it's empty. Yeah, I see that. Like I don't know, just some things that just carried over. I that's just the, that's my small details that I like to point out is just the humor. Uh, I don't know why I keep justifying it, but <laughs> I'll do it anyway. <laughs> good humor, humor, good. Humor, good. Oh, I like keep putting out the funny shit. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the end of episode one hundred and nine. Uh, is there anything else you feel like adding before we move on to turning the tides? No, nope, I think I got all my Such thoughts out. Dramatic like title for these episodes. Oh, very dramatic. Like. Turning the tides out of the past. Drama. I love it. All right. Well, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back with more Legend of Korra after this ad read. Hey, everyone. Kayla here. Before we get into the second half of the episode, we just wanted to remind everyone to check and make sure you're following the Avatar Hour podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice. And if that platform has a rating system, please consider it leaving us a review and maybe some feedback. With subscribers and reviews, it allows us to reach future listeners and to help the podcast grow in the long run. Thanks for listening. And now, back to the show. And we're back. Let's get into 110, Turning the Tides. So, I mean, uh, this whole episode is pretty much just kind of like a war thriller. There's a lot of action going on. Uh, but there's some um, some character moments that I want to touch on. Um, really quick, just Asami and Mako... Um, at the beginning of the episode, uh, Asami is like pretty pissed at um Mako about the chorus situation, and uh, and yeah, and Asami is like (laughs) washing the dishes with Pema, and Mako's like, "Can we get some more tea for Cora?" And Asami's like, "You're a firebender, boil it yourself." And then (laughs) Pema's face is like, "Oh, oh, I'll leave you two alone because you can talk." She literally says that. She literally (laughs) says that, and then like her face as she like leaves. I love it. It's so funny. Oh my god! She's but like, oh no, I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally is the same. 
Um, but then, like, you know, Asami is like, you know, you don't have anything you need to tell me. And Mako's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, I know about the kiss. And Mako's oh like, oh, oh. <laughs> um, and then he says, look, there's a lot of crazy things going on. Can we worry about like, our relationship problems later? And I'm like, and then, and then, and then, and then Asami then says, there might not be a relationship to worry about later. Like, damn. I was like, I was like, well, now that I'm watching the show with, and I'm in a relationship, I'm like, I'm just, I cannot imagine Chris there's, saying something like that to me. Yeah, Being like, that, you know, like, there's a lot going on right now. Can we worry about our relationship problems later? I would like, have been so fucking shitty. pissed. Yeah, you don't say that to your partner no matter what's going that's on. That's so can like take, dismissive. You guys can take 10 minutes to talk about things. Yeah, that's so minimal. You don't, all right, going into relationship therapy here, you don't yeah. need to fix the issue in the moment, but you do need to like take a couple of minutes and Talk realize that feelings. your partner is upset and promise that that when you when you feel like you have the emotional time to do it that you are committed to repairing that issue not being like i don't have time for this yeah uh, excuse me i could excuse not imagine me, i could not sir? imagine yeah and that's on poor poor communication um, yeah which everyone on the show should work I, every, i'm not i'm not every single person but uh, there's a lot of issues on the show could be solved character wise not writing watch talk about characters issue inner character issues could be solved if they just sat down and talked about their feelings but it's you know i digress and i know some of y'all i already know some of y'all are going to be like well he didn't he didn't lie to Kor- to asami about the kiss he just didn't tell her that's still lying that's lying, lying by, by omission, omission is lying and if you're, I'm gonna, y'all, okay, real talk here. <laughs> if you're ever in Mako's situation where you are in a relationship and someone makes a move on you and kisses you, go to your partner as soon as you can and tell them that happened. Because if you don't tell them and they, they find, find out, out later, they're gonna start wondering why you kept it a secret from them. And then the last thing you wanna do is tell them, well, I didn't want, I knew you were gonna freak out about it. That is just so, just go and tell them. Especially if, if like, you have, you were, like, surprised and and you don't have feelings for that person, go and tell them. If if your partner reacts negatively, then you got some shit to work out. But if you're in a loving relationship and you got your communication down, your partner should be able to understand. That doesn't mean that they're not allowed to be upset by it, because they can't be. It doesn't have to always be logical, but... You know, let the, just Feelings go and tell them, please. Guys. I've seen this yeah. happen so many times to other people and just completely erodes relationships for no reason. Please just just come clean. It's okay. I promise mm-hmm. you. It's okay. Anyway, so that's that. <laughs> um, I, I love this. I I, I, that's like, I, that's like, I love that we talked about this. This is a good part. We should add that now of like, you know, just add the tour like what not to do based off of the actions of the <laughs> Oh my god! Oh my god! It's back to back to the back to the <laughs> equalists and all that stuff. <laughs> uh, so let's get just get into the the big thing going on in this episode. So the equalists are attacking Republic City. Um, after Korra returns, Tenzin and Lin deduce that Amon is beginning to reach his end game because he's captured a council member and has you know removed their bending, which is a big deal. Well, it turns out Amon is not stopping at Tarlock because he's planned to capture all of the city council members. Save Tenzin, who becomes the only remaining leadership as Amon attacks the public city. That's true. It's not for lack of trying on their end. They try. They try. But again, it's that it's that thing of people don't know how to fight airbenders, so they're they're at a a disadvantage. Um, But yeah, so 
Tenzin meets up with Chief Saikon and he manages to send out a wire to the General of the United Forces um, to get some help to fight back against the Equalists. And just then, like, there's like, I guess, mustard gas or something that comes in through the vents. And the, Tenzin, yeah, the phone lines go down, the yeah. powers goes out, like, this gas is pl- starts this, pouring the in. amount of planning that went into this. It's I like know. completely the way Amon, like, not just attacks like kind of like the city leadership but just the infrastructure i mean it's it's just classic you know kind of you know fascism dictatorship um you go after the infrastructure yeah but tenzin manages to get out with the officers and they're met at the front steps with a battalion of equalists and mecha tanks who have like these giant magnet guns that and it's like it's like, almost comical. It, it is a little bit like they like. I, I the, know it shouldn't be funny that they're capturing people <laughs> and about to take away their bending, but it's just funny watching them get zinged against the. Well, because to me, it's like I can imagine just like walking by and just like planting like a, a fridge magnet on like one of the metal benders or something. I don't know why it's so funny, but like, yeah, I, like these metal guys, they're like whizzing through the air, like getting stuck. They even have like a they even have like a tug of war with like Tenzin's air bending and mm-hmm, the magnet. Mm-hmm. I'm like. Buddy, that's a fight you're gonna lose. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tenzin manages to hold them off as long as he can, and just as, as he about just as he's about to be taken away, Team Avatar Batman Edition comes the to save the day. The car. Oh my god, <laughs> loved it. Like, I, I forgot they did that. I'm like, they just like just jump ship on the car and use yeah. the car as a weapon. <laughs> yes, yes, they did. Also, the fact that um they had to find the car. And they found it like parked against. It's like run into a lamp. And Cora's like, I told you guys, I can't drive. But the way she says it is so funny. I told you guys a million times, I can't drive. Like just the way that like Jeanette Varney just like delivers that line just makes me laugh every time. I also makes me think of this uh, like text post that someone like overlaid with like incorrect quotes of this part when Mm -hmm. like they find out that she's parked the car like that. Uh, And it says like. You know, is it strange? Like, I mean, no, you're like, am I straight? And it's like, no, you're not, Cora. And it's and it's like, no, my my parking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, gays can't drive, y'all. So yeah, it fits. It was there all along. <laughs> it was there. It was so subtle. <laughs> it was there from the beginning. Oh my god. So as they're fighting uh, against these mecha tanks, Hiroshi Sato looks down on the scene from an airship, expressing disappointment and even disgust at seeing his daughter fight alongside uh, the benders. Benders. Amon then reassures him that he shall soon have his daughter back. Mm, I don't know what that means, because that's not what ends up happening. (laughs) He tries to kill her. Um, But but moving on to uh, over at the air temple... Uh, Tenzin early on in the episode asks Lin to stay behind on Air Temple Island to keep his family safe should anything happen. And Lin agrees and she says anything for an old friend, which is a really a sentimental moment that we don't get from Lin a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, but then Pema smiles. Like, yeah, she <laughs> smiles. But then Pema comes out. She's like, I didn't know you two were out here. <laughs> it's really I it's really awkward and she gets super petty and she's like, oh, can you give me a little bath? Like, he really like, needs it. Oh, yeah. just I mean, like, I know we don't like the love triangle bullshit that goes on in this show, but this part's funny. It is This funny. part's done funny. It's, it's even funny because they're acting like teenagers and they're all adults. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. That's... <laughs> yeah. God. And, you know, of course, if she shoves her, her like, you know, problematic child on Lynn to deal with. Like... <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, and then as Equalists approach Air Temple Island, Pema suddenly and shockingly goes into labor. No one saw this coming. This like, was a complete shock. We can. No one could have predicted this. Even, what was the point of her even being pregnant in the first place? There's like, there's no tension. Like, it doesn't it doesn't add to the tension of anything? This would have still baby disappears. <laughs> it, yes. Like, he shows up, I think, in like the last season. I think you do see him as like a toddler running around at uh, Varric and Julie, Julie's wedding. And Rohan, that's it. Rohan is in season two. Yes. Um, he's still a baby at that point. I don't but, even like, you know. Don't see if, him. I don't even know if he's in season four. I don't. Because, like, by you season four. Him. You do see him in season four, though. He is running around at Varric and Julie's wedding. So if they, he is there. Okay. It's <laughs> like the end of the series. I don't think. We'll, but again, we'll we haven't watched this in years, so yeah. you know, we'll be we can correct ourselves on that. But, but again, like, I think this is the the one of the the drawbacks of the fact that they didn't know they were going to have more seasons because then they started season two. They're like, oh god, we have this baby, baby. that we don't know what to do with because he wasn't. We weren't meant to have more than one season. But also, like, what was the point of her having the baby in the first place? They literally would not have changed anything to the story. I don't think. N- not really. I mean. If it's, she would, it's literally the, the first baby. time we see Pema, we're talking about like the baby and how she wants to have a non-bender. And I think Rohan is a non-bender. I, think. I don't know. I think I saw. I mean, I, I did see him in. I'm not sure about that. I'm I can't sure remember. We're, we'll but we'll still, find out. But even with that line, it was just kind of like, I don't know. That wasn't this. I don't think this wasn't needed. Like it, it, it still really wouldn't had, have changed anything. It really wouldn't have because there's still plenty of fear around the family being taken by the Equalists, yeah. especially at the end of this episode. And when we see them again in the later episode, you know, like it's just, and then like, of course, even then you don't even see Pema and the baby in the next episode. They're just, oh, she's in the, she's, she's downstairs or something. Like it just doesn't add tension. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't do anything. It just doesn't. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not enough for me to like be adamant about it. Honestly, mm-hmm. it's just it's enough to kind of like needle at me. I don't know about you. I kind of just went on a rant there, and I apologize. <laughs> no, I mean, rant away. I mean, that's what we're here for. But um, no, it's just I. You know what I think it is? It's just sort of like a time capsule trend, or like a trope. More like like the you know the woman giving birth at the most inconvenient time in the story. It really is kind of like a relic of you know, early 2000s, 2000s. storytelling. Yeah. Because you don't really see that happen a whole lot anymore. And I think it's because people realize it's a cheap way to artificially add stakes. Um, yeah. But I mean, the the equalists don't get anywhere near the baby. So it's, again, it's well, not... They, they, I mean, you know, the, the, the family does get captured. Yeah. And we do see them all captured, the next, except for Pem and the baby, which are apparently in the basement or something. But you don't even see them. Yeah. I, like, mean, I mean, at the very much, it's like mildly inconvenient at best, like yeah. the whole pregnancy, but it doesn't necessarily kind of yeah, get in the way of things too much. Because, I mean, what, have, what was Pema going to do? You know? Yeah. Is there any, I mean, like, what was, I guess maybe they just needed something to give Pema something to do during the Do you the think season? it was because. They needed her to be distracted so we could see the kids fight equalists. Because I mean, if Pema was like hunkered away with uh, the the other air acolytes, there's no way she would have let her grandkids fight. So I mean, I guess maybe fight. that, would, maybe that, but like still, that's like a very elaborate way to do that. It is. I mean, yeah, it, it's very elaborate. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. Whatever we can, we just forget. We just forget like that part and the fact that we get to see the kids fight. Let's let's talk yeah. about that. 
<laughs> yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. Stay away from my dad's ex-girlfriend. <laughs> oh my god, the best, the best battle line I've ever heard. She's <laughs> <laughs> flying in on that. Yeah, the, and... so the Equalists end up landing on the island, and the White Lotus, truly the stormtroopers of this universe, uh, do not manage to hold them back very well. And Lynn fights back expertly until she gets overwhelmed and she's knocked out. And who again, who comes to save the day but Aang's grandkids, who fight impressively well. Even Milo, aside from the fart bending, I mean, it, it was still effective, but he's like landing yes. some really good punches here and there. And also like, just like a slow-mo of him, just like, like slobber flying, slobber and boogers flying. And mm-hmm. just, well, and I love Lynn like, being like, Milo, be careful. And then he's doing all that. He's, she's like, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> And but yeah. then again, I know everyone like yeah. We've talked about this with Milo, and like honestly, I I'm not surprised that he fart bends. I, do I think it's annoying? Yes, but I'm not surprised about it because that's something a little kid would totally do if they had the yeah. airbender. Yeah, if anything is just realistic, <laughs> Let's yeah, just be real. Kids and who knows? Maybe Aang was fart bending back in his day as well. We don't know. I'm sure that was very popular on the air temples. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah, the, I mean, they make uh, quick work of the Equalists. Again, they're at an advantage. People really don't know how to fight airbenders because they haven't been around. Um, but they were still very, very impressive fighters. Um, Tenzin and the crew return to the island after Pema has given birth to the newest edition of the Air Nation, Rohan, as we mentioned before. Uh, but this moment does not last long as more Equalists make their way to the that island. That came out fast. Very quickly, <laughs> like very quickly. We do see, we do see her. Like, I guess maybe have a contraction in like the, the you know earlier in the episode or uh, when yeah it's yeah, like a, yeah she's like the baby's kicking. So guess, that's all. Like, is she so kind of established that she's going to whatever? I'm not going to think about science now. It's okay. <laughs> she, I still wanted to make a joke about that kid popped out real fast. <laughs> this baby did, yeah, probably honestly like under an hour. Like it seems like, but. It's fine. I don't know. Sometimes labor progresses weirdly for every person that gives birth. So I can you know. suspend my disbelief for flying bisons and. But I draw the line <laughs> in a fast labor delivery. <laughs> That's where I draw the line. That's right. <laughs> oh, my God. oh my god! So yeah, so this this tender moment doesn't last very long because there are more equalists making their way to the island. Um, Tenzin concludes that he needs to get his family far away from Republic City to keep them safe. And Tenzin tells Korra to hide in the meantime until the United Forces arrive in three days' time. He promises Korra that they will return with reinforcements and that when they do, they will be able to turn the tides against the Equalist. And there's a really great moment here for Korra where she's like, so what you're saying is we have to be patient, which she is not, but she understands the gravity of the situation. And good for her for learning and understanding. Yes. Yes. So Tenzin, Lin, and the family make their escape as two airships pursue them, and Lin ends up making the ultimate sacrifice and manages manages to get onto one of the airship and rips the metal apart, which obviously reminded me of when Toph did the same thing during Sons of the Covet. I definitely think that's supposed to be a purposeful oh, for uh, sure. connection there. Um, and then Milo like, says that, that she he that says, lady, like, that lady is my hero. My hero. Yeah, and Tenzin agrees. Um, which it's, a it's just cool, a great piece of writing. Yeah, just what a cool moment. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, just the but also like the look on Lynn's face before she does it. Like you see her look to the airships, look back at the family. The shot of her looking back at the, you know, the air, 
Nation family. Mm-hmm. Just, I don't know. It just lives in my head rent free. It's like one of those shots in the show that I will not forget anytime soon. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where like you're surprised that this character is getting some development. You like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, usually just the cranky. Yeah, yeah, yeah like the not necessarily not development, but like you see depth. layers and depth that you were not expecting to see. And yes. I think that's like one of the like the most pleasant surprises in this episode is that we get all this depth from from Lynn. You know, yeah, I really enjoyed and, that, and that's what really sealed her as my favorite as one of my favorite characters in the show. Ah, uh, yes, I agree, here. I agree. So she ends up being captured and is brought to Amon, who demands to know where Cora is, but Lynn refuses to tell him anything, and Amon takes her bending away. And I gotta say, there's no word for this scene except for stunning. Because, like, the way the sound cuts out when he takes her bending on top of, like, the music and, like, the rain. And it's just so tragic. But it's, like, tragically beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's, Absolutely. It's such a standout moment in the series for me. Absolutely. Um, and somewhere else, a young United Forces general has received a message from the Avatar saying that Republic City needs his help. And in the jump scare of the century, he tells the telegrapher in Zuko's voice to relay her a message that he will be there with his forces in three days time and that he looks forward to retaking the city with her. And then the messenger then says, as you wish, General Iroh. And I love this scene because it's like it gives off very Marvel end credit scene vibes. Yes. <laughs> and I, I almost wish they put it at the end of the credits almost like i think it's yeah it's it's a really cool like small scene when we get there yeah i think honestly the bigger like what the fuck of this is not the fact that he's named after ira that that's kind of a secondary yeah the first thing is like that's zuko's voice Mm -hmm. like there's like wait or or people who aren't as like you know hardcore fans like we do we like we are who like you know are i mean at least i can usually pretty good at picking up Uh voice actors but like you know everyone gets like wait a minute and then I don't think you need to be a hardcore fan of a- Avatar no. to like no because Dante Bosco he's such a very distinct voice, distinct <laughs> unique voice. I definitely so it's think. Like, Wait a minute, that's Zuko. Yeah, yeah, that's it's yeah. It was it's cool amazing. to have it, it's cool to have Dante Bosco back. Mm-hmm. Very you cool, know. very cool. We love him on the show. Um, but yeah, that's the that's the end of this episode. All right. Any last such thoughts a- before we move on to Final Corner? Just the fact that we're going to bring up Zuko again. Awesome. Let's do it. <laughs> so let's transition over to Fandom Corner. Uh, again, coming from Tumblr. Uh, the person, the original, I just want to point out the, uh, I don't usually point out the username sometimes. Uh, the link's usually available. Um, but I just love the name of this person's URL. It's lesbians for Sokka. <laughs> love that. Love uh, it. So this person wrote that Zuko really thought the Avatar was 100 years old and that he was still fully prepared to fucking kidnap him. Imagine if that had actually gone down like Zuko thought it would. You're a fully realized Avatar and you've been hiding out for over a century and then all of a sudden you get approached by this 13-year-old kid who's like, what's good? I've got no death perception. I'm ready to fight God. <laughs> and then it gets better as it is with Tumblr, it just builds upon itself. Mm-hmm. So this person, a person commented, I would simply adopt him. There's no other choice in the situation. And then one person replied, another person replied, nah, see, Ira would walk up to Aang and be like, listen, you ever had kids? Humor the boy. I'll make you some tea. And then Aang never changes. He's like, dope, free tea. This should be fun. 
and then ends up passing wisdom on to Zuko, whether he likes it or not, and doing shenanigans to make the trip to the Fire Nation take twice as long. At one point, <laughs> he escapes and finds another old man. He's like, hey, want to prank a teen? This old dude's like, yeah, what do I have to do? And Aang's like, so I'm going to give you some sick tattoos. And Zuko's like, you know, just bring them both. But it turns out the other old dude is King Boomy. Oh, my God. <laughs> Pretty soon, there's a flock of old men trailing Prince Zuko like ducklings straight up to the Fire Nation palace to dethrone the Fire Lord. <laughs> Oh my god. I love this. This <laughs> Oh um, my god. In another universe. In another universe. So I hope that y'all that made everybody laugh uh who is listening right now and I think we'll share this in our Instagram story as well so that the authors yes. get their proper yes, credit. Yeah. But that's our fandom corner for this week. Uh any additional thoughts on that? I just thought, thought of old men trailing Zuko like ducklings. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love the idea uh, of Aang like yeah, making sure the twip, the the twip, the trip. Oh my God, <laughs> like age regressed twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> the trip takes twice as long. <laughs> the twip. Oh, anyway, <laughs> recommendations, Kayla. What do you recommend? So I've been doing a lot of reading these days that I actually have some free time and mm-hmm. I've been spending way too much money on books. That's another problem for another day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have decided to go back and revisit one of my favorite childhood book series, Percy Jackson and the Olympians. I got the entire box set of the first six books and it's just really nice to reread. It's definitely, I don't know, it's just comforting to come back to it, you know, mm-hmm. that it's like, and especially also it's even, it's even more comforting that the author's not a complete piece of shit mm-hmm. and, you know, you can enjoy it without feeling super duper guilty about like, I don't know, I'm super duper, like, you know, kind of noticing, oh, yeah, that's not yeah. a very good thing to write. Oh, I yeah. see what that allegory actually means. So, you know, it's nice to come back to that and have like, you know, just re revisiting something that you loved as a kid. And mm-hmm. that makes me even more excited to watch the Disney plus series. And they just announced the cast, like we talked about previously, um, so just re- re- revisiting the series, uh, or if you haven't read the series at all, I highly recommend that you do. It's, um, you know, I mean, if you liked the magic and world building of Harry Potter, you will definitely like the Percy Jackson series. And what I like about it is that it also gets more and more diverse with every book and every series in this very big world that Rick Riordan has created. Yeah. Um, like, you know, they introduce like, you know, queer characters, lots of, you know, BIPOC characters, and even in other series that Rick Riordan has written, like the, um, the Kane Chronicles and Magnus Chase, they introduced interfluid characters. Like it's just a very, it gets just more and more diverse as, it, as you go along. And that just, I don't know, it just makes me happy to know that kids have this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I now, was that kid. Now's a good time as any <laughs> to get into the books before the exactly. series comes out. Exactly. I wonder, are the youths having... Greek mythology phases like we did. Is oh, that I happening? Bet. Especially with like things like TikTok and there's Greek mythology stuff on TikTok. I am not surprised. The queers always go to the TikTok, go to like go to the know. Greek mythology. I don't know. Are the are the I don't know. Are the youths still into Greek mythology or other mythologies? I I, I don't know. If it's, it's not just... if it's not Greek mythology, if it's not a Greek mythology phase, it's gotta be another form of mythology. Or, you know. Or just something. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Or if it's if it's not Greek mythology, it's ancient Egypt. That's another one I think is not going to phase out anytime soon. It's ancient Egypt. Well, I don't know. It's, it's funny to think about because like the seventh graders now are like full on political activists. Are they looking at Greek mythology? I don't know. <laughs> like we we were just so blissfully people ignorant to, when we were. People have to have a hobby. People have to have a hobby outside of trying to save the world. True. Yeah. 
I don't know. I'm I'm really interested in that because I I really truly think that's the reason that Percy Jackson blew up. It just it managed to just hit at the right time with the right group of kids. So I don't know. I'm, I'd be interesting. I'd be interested to know if it resonates the same with with kids today. I don't know. I, I have a good feeling that it will. I mean, the whole series is about like standing up for you know standing up for people and you know. Uh, like again, especially as you, you get to see a lot of like BIPOC characters be yeah. the heroes of their stories, and I think that's especially important in this day and age as we as the demand for diversity grows in the realm of science fiction and fantasy. For sure, yeah. Um, I'm gonna recommend um this six episode miniseries Bodyguard on Netflix. Um, it's kind of like this uh. Again, political action thriller. I love them. Um, I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I, as I did. Um, me and my sister were just looking for something random to watch on Netflix, and it's surprisingly good. And it keeps you guessing the whole way through. So, uh, if you need something like you know short and, and I'm not going to say simple because it's very it's a very complex show, but if you just want um, um, something to go, you know, just watch on a weekend, uh, I'd recommend Bodyguard. It stars Richard Madden. If people know him, um, and he's a wonderful actor. So, yeah, I would check that out. Bodyguard on Netflix. Cool. Well, if you'd like to stay up to date on what's next for the Avatar Hour podcast, we are on TikTok at the Avatar Hour Pod, and on Facebook and Instagram at the Avatar Hour Podcast, and on Twitter at Avatar Hour. And of course, like we said before, we are looking for more Fandom Corner entries and more specifically for our Messenger Hawk mailbag episode. So if you've got any good ones you'd like to send our way, you can send it to the DMs on any of those platforms that I just mentioned, or you can send it to us at the Avatar Hour Podcast at gmail.com. And if you want some more Avatar Hour in your life, as always, please consider signing up for our Patreon. For as little as $1 a month or even up to $5 a month, you can access our show notes, ad-free editions of our episodes, Zoom recordings, and much, much more. We also, uh, we don't advertise this as heavily, but we also occasionally do ask for, um, like, uh, what our patrons think about certain episode topics, or we do, like, exclusive polls on Patreon. So if you want to have a say and a voice in how the show runs and how and what we talk about um that's always a good way to do it um and if you sign up for our five dollar air acolyte level you also gain access to our flagship benefit of the avatar after hour which is just bite-sized episodes of the avatar hour just talking about either a topic we didn't get to that day or just you know stuff going on in the avatar world or in the fandom and yeah it's a lot of fun so definitely join us there at patreon.com slash the avatar hour podcast Um, But that's it for us this week. We will see you guys next week with the season finale of Legend of Korra season one. So that'd be very exciting. But until then, my name is Andre. And I'm Kayla. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.